Welcome back to another episode of the Hybrid Canine Podcast. Today, we're going to be bringing a little bit of a different episode on self-limiting beliefs. Self-limiting beliefs are something that I think a lot of us as people struggle with um, in just our day-to-day lives and things that we deal with just as people. Um, But I also think that it's something that is really relevant when it comes to training our dogs and achieving success with them. Because I think as leaders for our dogs, our own beliefs about ourselves can oftentimes get in the way of the progress with our dogs. So I want to start this off uh, with what had inspired this topic. It was a quote that I read, I believe, by Donald Miller, who's a, a, a great business leader that I've learned a lot from. But the quote was, what masquerades as confusion is often our desire to avoid conflict. Let me say that again. What masquerades as confusion is often our desire to avoid conflict. And that really struck uh, a chord with me in a good way um, because I think it's so true. When we're confused, you know, we tend to use that as a way of not taking action necessarily um, and thus not confronting the conflict, right? So I believe that a lot of times when we're confused, especially when I talk to different dog owners in virtual sessions or private lessons, whatever have you, right? A lot of times um, owners will say that they're confused, right? Or they, they didn't know. And in that obscurity of not knowing, they don't take action on something that they know to be a problem, right? Um, so they avoid that conflict and it's masqueraded, as this quote says, by this veil of being confused. When, you know, confusion really, in my opinion, is oftentimes a way to avoid our true feelings about the anxiety that we have or the worry we have. And to the topic of this podcast, the self-limiting beliefs that we might have about ourselves or about our dogs, right? And so um, when it comes to avoiding this, right, when we want to avoid these self-limiting beliefs and these worries and these anxieties about things that could create progress for us, um, a lot of times it comes at the cost of these relationship of, of our relationship with our dogs, right? When we avoid these uh, self-limiting beliefs and we don't confront them head on, uh, what we do is we don't take action. And so that relationship with our dog continues to um, degrade, right? It deteriorates um, by our lack of action as owners, as leaders for our dogs. And so in my opinion, it's really important to confront the self-limiting beliefs with ourselves, even if it means facing our worries, because that's the only way we're ever going to see progress with our dog, right? Um, so how do we do this, right? <laughs> uh, well, first of all, it's important to remember that our beliefs about ourselves and our dog are literally just that. They're just beliefs. So they're not necessarily facts, right? So these are things that can be changed. Um, and a lot of times it can be done with less effort than we think. So when it comes to actually changing our, our self-limiting beliefs, right, um, we have to ask ourselves, is the belief that we have actually supported by any real evidence? I think a lot of times we get in our own head, right? We uh, will use our dog's breed. Oh, my dog, you know, is a, is a husky, so they can't be off leash. They can't really learn recall like that. Uh, you know, my dog's too naughty. He's too old, right? Can you teach the old dog new tricks? Um, I don't have the time for it. My family, you know, my family isn't going to support me in the training process and this, that, the other. These are all these self-limiting beliefs, these things that we tell ourselves that um, are most times not really supported by any true evidence, right? Now, if you find in, you know, thinking about this belief, if it is supported by evidence, uh, you know, we have to explore why that is. But the, the bottom line is that when we have a deeper understanding about why we believe the things that we do, 
it becomes much easier for us as people to then clarify a solution. And so a lot of times the thing that's holding us back is not really taking the time to really think through why we believe the things that we do about ourselves or our dogs or our ability to create change. And in that we dismiss it and we just, you know, we, we make up an excuse or, you know, we uh, feel confused. Right. And so the bottom line here is that you're really capable of putting anything that you put your mind to. And the same is true for your dog. And I think that the more that you step into that uh, for your dog as a leader and you think through these different beliefs that you might have, and then you take action on them by either working with a trainer, doing research online, you know, doing things to actually overcome these beliefs that you have, the faster you're going to see progress and change with your dog. Because when you're confronting that and you have clarity as an owner into how to resolve the problems that you're seeing with your dog, it becomes much easier to then adhere to the plan, the training, the things that are needed to really create change. And when you're all in, in that capacity and you're dedicated and you have clarity, you're more likely to take that consistent effort. You're more likely to adhere to the different habits or protocols that your trainer is suggesting that you implement into the household. And that's when real change is going to happen. You're right. There's no magic silver bullet that's going to come in and, and, you know, train your dog, right? There's nothing, nothing's going to happen out of thin air that's going to change your dog's behavior, right? Uh, changing behavior, just as it is for humans, right? It's a tough thing that takes some time. And so doing it with your dog is going to be tough. It's going to take confronting some of these anxieties, these fears, these worries we have about what's going to happen uh, if we take our reactive dog down the street, uh, if we, you know, if this, that, or the other happens, you know, um, all of these things are possibilities and they could happen, right? But a lot of times when we're able to have a plan of action and we're making uh, dedicated strides towards that, even on the difficult days, even on the days that we have to take a step backwards or where our dogs don't necessarily live up to our expectations during the training process, which is inevitable, by the way, you know, we're able to stay steadfast in our efforts in moving forward and understanding that we're just on, we're just, it's a part of the process. And um, I think that as someone that started out as a dog owner that became a trainer and has worked with a lot of different dogs, um, enjoying that process and recognizing the dog training experience as more so of a journey and not a destination that you ever arrive at uh, becomes a lot more fun. And so these self-limiting beliefs that I know that I started out with when I was uh, dealing with my dogs at first years ago uh, are not so much anymore, right? I, I get to see them more so as these, these challenges and these things that I have the opportunity to overcome. And so it actually becomes this exciting thing that uh, every time I work with a new dog, I get to apply this framework and these set of things that I've learned that have worked well. But I get to, uh, you know, test them out, see what works, what doesn't, make adjustments along the way, and become better and better and better. Um, I have a mentor that once told me, "There's nothing you do more of that you get worse at," and it's one of those quotes that's just stuck with me throughout my whole life, um, especially in the times where I am having those self-limiting beliefs, because um, it, it's very easy to get in our own ways. And so, you know, I always think back to that quote of, "There's nothing I've ever done more of that I've gotten worse at." And it encourages me to take the next, uh, the next step forward to put the next foot in front of the one, uh, the one foot in front of the other, in other words. So um, that's kind of my, my message for the day. Um, I think self-limiting beliefs are one of the biggest um, adversaries, so to speak, one of the biggest villains we face when it comes to um, not only making progress in our own personal lives as people, but, you know, especially progress with our dogs. And uh, we have to learn how to confront those in a healthy way. And so if it means uh, addressing those, a lot of times having accountability with those beliefs, you know, turning to the people that love you, 
turning to your family, um, turning to your friends or people um, that are in the dog community, maybe a trainer that you're working with. That's an, that's an amazing way to hold yourself accountable to confronting your self-limiting beliefs. And I know that a lot of trainers in here that uh, or trainers listening to this that compete in different dog sports and things like that can relate to the fact that even these top tier, I'm talking the best trainers in the world, you know, sometimes they'll train for months and months and months. And I've seen it happen. They get out on the field um, and they, the events are tough. The dog's frazzled and everything just goes to shit real quick. And it's just, it's not like how it was at practice, right? And so um, these are like the top tier people in the world, right? At the end of the day, we're working with animals and things don't always go our way, but we can't let that get to us, right? We have to understand it as part of the process and we have to look forward to that challenge, to that next obstacle to overcome. And uh, when you can tap into that, and that's part of the process that you begin to appreciate and not, uh, that doesn't frustrate you or, or cause you to uh, give up or settle into that confusion, you know, the more enjoyment and fulfillment you'll find in working with your dog, working with other dogs, if that's what you do. Um, but, you know, it's all a part of the process. And so it all starts with overcoming these self-limiting beliefs and learning how we can, uh, you know, address those and find healthier ways of overcoming them. And I think that you'll find that if you're able to do that in even just one capacity with your dog, it will have a downstream effect that will positively impact uh, the rest of your life as a person too. And so, um, you know, that is my kind of message for the day. And, uh, yeah, I hope it was able to bring you some value. Uh, I'm going to keep blending the podcast here, uh, with a blend of topic-based episodes and Q and A episodes. So, uh, hope that you stay tuned for more. So, um, I'm getting some messages here on Instagram live that it's very quiet. So if you're in here right now, let me know if it's really quiet for you, um, I know Mayday Dog Training said it's very quiet. I can try to increase it a little bit, but I don't want to blow out my uh, speaker here that's recording on the other line. Um, let me know if it's not loud enough for any reason. Hopefully that will make it a little bit louder. And uh, we can turn it up here as well. Is that better? Can you guys hear me better now? Let me know on Instagram Live. And uh, I did see some questions coming through, so I want to make sure I get to those as well. Let's jump into this. Um, here's a good question by Dylan. Let's pin this up. Let me know if you guys can hear me all right. If you're jumping in now, uh, I tried to increase the volume a little bit. So Dylan Dello asks, what is your advice for training my dog for off-leash walks? Well, Dylan, my advice is that you master the on-leash walk first. Um, you know, when it comes to off-leash walks, they're actually quite simple. Um, almost really no difference at all if your dog already is immaculate at the on-leash walk, right? And you shouldn't go to the off-leash walk until you almost feel like you don't need a leash anyway because you're never giving your dog a correction on walk. They're always in that perfect heel position. They have really sharp recall, immaculate recall. Um, they don't get distracted by triggers in the environment. Um, they proofed that in a variety of different environments with various distractions. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, when it comes to off-leash walks, you know, and it comes to setting yourself up for success there, if you are going to blend into trying to do some off-leash walks, what I'd recommend is definitely having various motivators for your dog in the off-chance circumstance that something, you know, a fluke happens, right? Um, so I would have really high-value food rewards. I would have uh, maybe a toy if your dog's very toy-driven, and just different things that you can stack together to ensure that uh, your dog 
really is going to be motivated by you more than anything else that could potentially pop up in the environment. When it comes to off-leash walks, this is a circumstance to where, of course, if you're in a place that allows off-leash walking and doesn't have leash laws, you know, I'd really recommend perhaps even conditioning your dog to a tool like the e-collar. That way you have an extra seatbelt, so to speak, on your dog that can hold them accountable and communicate to them if something, once again, a fluke happens and your dog doesn't uphold the behaviors that they've consistently demonstrated in these highly distracting environments on a leash. Um, so that would be my advice there. When it comes to training your dog for off-leash walks, it's going to be the same as an on-leash walk, right? You just, you're going to need to practice uh, leash walking drills. Um, but you would never start the off-leash practice until your dog really understands uh, how to be in that follower mode, how to be in the proper heel position. Um, and then you've, of course, you know, done that in a variety of distracting environments where your dog still upholds, you know, an immaculate position in that heel command. Um, you know, I'd also practice placing your dog into obedience commands, having immaculate down command, um, you know, or place command or something to where your dog can also have a preferred alternative. Uh, if there are a lot of stimulus around, um, that will be a safe place for them to be in a very stable command. So those are some of the things that I would recommend when it comes to training your dog for off-leash walks. Now, when it just comes to training your dog for walks in general, you know, practicing indoors, like some of the content I've been sharing lately, practicing indoors on a leash in a low distraction environment and doing right-hand turns and left-hand turns, pivoting over your foot, uh, just back and forth to really shape that position for your dog and then rewarding them in that position so that being in that heel position has a lot of value to them. Um, that's a great way to begin practicing the loose leash walk on leash. Uh, you can use a slip lead for that. And then, of course, carrying that outside onto the street, a slightly more distracting environment. Once they've demonstrated uh, you know, reliability and a comprehension of being able to do that, you would then elevate it perhaps to even a, a more distracting environment and a more distracting environment. And then when you feel like you've achieved that, you know, then you can start practicing and you go back to square one, right? So then remove the leash in the house, put your dog in the heel command and see if they track your, uh, track your, your leg in the same level of comprehension and um, precision that they do on leash. And if they're doing that really, really well, then perhaps you go into your back, a fenced in backyard or uh, an empty dog park or someplace that is contained to where you can really practice that, you know, outside where there's potentially more distractions and then, you know, continue elevating it in the same way. Right now, I'd say generally speaking, if you're asking me my opinion, there's just not really a whole lot of purpose to practice an off-leash walk. I mean, if your dog's off-leash walking, you know, I think there's certainly circumstances where Atlas and I, we go and we, you know, we'll go and pop off and we'll go to on like a hike, right? Where we're like the only people in the woods for miles. And in that circumstance, I don't know if I'd really call it an off-leash walk, right? I would call it more of a hike. And in that situation, you know, just having immaculate recall is going to be extremely important. Um, but if you're asking me, you know, I think that, you know, I've seen a few people, even in this downtown Raleigh environment, I'll give you a, a, a perfect example. In the building I live in, there was a guy that got his ass bit the other day by a guy that constantly walks his dog off leash in this downtown environment and, you know, just has a strong level of confidence in his dog. Well, his dog walked into the street, approached the guy and just bit him right in the ass. Completely avoidable. There's really no reason to have the dog off of a leash, right? You know, the dog the dog can totally be on leash and be just as happy that the leash doesn't matter if you're in an environment where, you know, your dog is not going to be anywhere far away from you at all. Right. The dog's not even, you know, shouldn't even know the difference. The only time that 
you know, makes a difference is if you're out in the woods and you're hiking as well and you don't want to be holding a leash because, you know, I've personally been there where, you know, it's a lot, it's really nice to let Atlas, Atlas run off leash while we're hiking so I can focus on, you know, what I'm doing with my body and prevent any, you know, potential, um, danger to myself, right. And to him, I think sometimes when I'm hiking for me, I get fearful that the leash, um, is going to cause some, you know, something bad to happen to both of us. If I slip and then I'm holding the leash and I pull him, you know, that could be bad. Right. So I've trained Atlas to be off leash in these, um, you know, hiking type of environments where it's safer in my opinion for both of us. Um, but when it comes to just being around town or walking in the neighborhood, I don't really think there's any reason to have your dog off leash. It's just unnecessary. Right. Um, so that's just my personal opinion. Of course you can take it for what it is, but, uh, to answer your question again, you know, for anyone that's jumping in now, my advice for training your dog to, for off-leash walks is to have an immaculate on-leash walk, um, that starts in the house and then continues to go into more distracting environments to where you can really, um, validate your dog's level of comprehension. So. See, great question. If you have questions, go ahead and drop them in the Q and A box too. So as I'm talking, they don't get lost in the feed here. Uh, micro micro results asks. I'm curious to know what your day looks like with your dog outside of walks. How much time do you spend with them? Do you let them chill with you while you're busy? Um, well, yes, I got Atlas here. My main guy, Atlas. Oh, hope they don't pull any cords out. I got my main guy, Atlas here. He's hanging out. Um, Atlas, um, Atlas comes with me, frankly, everywhere these days, um, outside of walks. And this is just the lifestyle that I've adopted. Right. I remember I actually put up a post in like 2017 and it was like, my goal is that by 2019, I spend, you know, all my time with my dogs and I never have to compromise. When I got my first dog, I just completely fell in love with having my dog around. It was just, um, it was so much I don't even know how to describe it. I just had, maybe it's just my personality or maybe there's other people out there that resonate with this. Cause I know it's not for everyone, but I just enjoy having them around. I, I kind of actually dislike having to limit my time out anywhere to have to go home or drive. I live in North Carolina. So everything's like 15 to 20 minutes away. I, um, maybe I just have like the level of paranoia or anxiety that if I leave my dog, you know, something bad might happen to them, but I, I just enjoy bringing them wherever I can. So, you know, Atlas will come in the car and hang out in his crate. Um, you know, uh, he'll come to the gym and walk on the treadmill. We go to a gym where that's allowed. And, um, you know, where we were friends with the owner where they were gracious enough to let us do that. Um, but I just like including Atlas in my life. Now I train dogs too. So, you know, he's a great representation of my abilities when we're out and about and I can demonstrate stuff and I'm also use him when I'm also helping to train with clients. But, um, you know, outside of that, you know, I think it really just depends on, the lifestyle that you want with your dog, right? Um, personally, I spend a lot of my time with Atlas. So, you know, I'd say on a daily basis, we probably do at least two walks and, you know, one play session at the minimum where, you know, we're playing with a toy. And, you know, I think that's something too that I've learned a lot about over the past few years that has made a huge difference in his level of fulfillment is understanding how to properly play with your dog. Um, a lot of people have toys laying around in the house and uh, different things like that where the dog never really that excited about toys, right? So, um, you know, we have dedicated playtime where we go out to fields and we, we really practice recall with toys and things that makes it a lot of fun and uh, productive time for us to spend. And, you know, my approach towards training and towards life is that um, do it every day. You know, for me in the gym and my personal fitness, 
It's something that I do every single day. Um, it's something that, you know, is a part of my lifestyle and I would shift other aspects of my life to include training at the gym. Right. Um, and that the same goes for working with my dogs, right. You know, I, I want to spend time with them every day. I want to live the highest quality of life possible. I want them to have the highest quality of life possible. So I would literally, and I have shifted my entire life to be able to spend time with my dogs and give them what they need and make sure that, um, I am doing as much as I can to provide the quality of life that I feel that they deserve. Um, you know, that's just my personal outlook on dog ownership. Um, I know it's not everyone's and it's certainly not the, the end all be all, but you know, in my soul, that's what I feel. And so I just try to live up to that. And I feel like when I do, I'm like doing all the right stuff, you know, like I'm doing, I'm doing a good job, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, and that looks different for everyone, but that's a great question. I'd say for the average person, um, that maybe doesn't have that same level of like, I need to do everything with my dog the way I do. Um, I would say at least if you're taking your dog on one to two loose leash walks and you're practicing hand feeding a few times a week, you're doing something where it's very, you know, uh, deliberate engagement with them. I think you're doing the right stuff. And I think that that's enough, right? Uh, we just need to audit ourselves sometimes and say, Hey, am I giving my dog, you know, am I helping them to meet their physical, mental, and biological needs? And oftentimes when we look at our lives, especially in busier seasons of life, uh, we can, we have to be honest and say, oh, you know, I could really step it up in this little area, right? In this particular area of making sure I give them what they need. I'll be honest, there was a time where, um, you know, I had a lot of stress. And so I wasn't going out to the park every day with Atlas. And, um, you know, we were going on a lot of walks and stuff, but I could tell that he was kind of like, you know, come on, man. Like he was picking up his toy and bringing it around and he was just kind of bugging me a little bit more. And I, and I had to sit back and say, you know what, I'm being selfish. I need to, you know, I need to make sure, make sure I'm getting him what he needs. And, um, you know, sure enough, we, we implement it back into our routine and not only did it make him happier, but it made me feel like more like myself and we got back on the right track. So, you know, I'm very big on habits and being disciplined and doing stuff every day. And I think that there's a big carryover into our personal lives when we're, when we're checking all the boxes and doing all the stuff that in our heart, we know we, we know we should be doing. So, um, long-winded answer, but that's kind of my perspective on that. Um, if anyone else is in here and wants to drop a question, I'll maybe answer like one or two more and then I'm going to go catch my workout. Got to do some grocery shopping today. Something I've been, uh, I don't know if it's just the time of year or whatever have you, but uh, during the summer months, I really get my ass in gear with my fitness and really buckle down on a lot of my habits. I find that when I stack a lot of habits up together, um, I'm more successful in a lot of different ways. It's weird. I'm one of those people where the more I do, the, the, the fuller my plate is, the happier I am. Um, now, of course, there's a, there's a point where the plate becomes too full and things are spilling over the plate. So, of course, there's a balance to filling the plate as, with as much as it can hold without you know, also having things fall off the plate because we don't want that. But I do find that when I have a full plate of activities and things and responsibilities that I am very happy, right? Um, but I have to work to find that consistency and that cadence, right? Sometimes it's, it's taken years to develop a cadence towards, um, putting just enough on the plate without it becoming overburdening, right? Because I feel like when we can check these boxes and get things done consistently, it's, uh, reinforcing in a sense, right? Where, you know, I feel successful because I'm doing all of these things I'm taking care of everything and it's fulfilling and it makes me want to continue doing more of it and kind of uh, maintaining it, right. And even enhancing it. Um, but you know, uh, conversely, if I fill my plate up with too much and then I'm dropping the ball on things that I told myself 
I'm going to get done, then I feel bad and it becomes, you know, a negative uh, feedback loop, right? Um, so this ties back into the concept of this podcast topic, which was self-limiting beliefs. And sometimes we have to evaluate those things honestly and say, hey, are these beliefs backed by any merit, right? And if they are backed by merit, we have to know why. And then we were able to find clarity on how to make a, a direct change to that. So uh, followed up with, I feel similar in respect to feeling bad for leaving my girl Layla out of certain activities. I spend one and a half to two hours outside. She has dedicated nap time, but I sometimes felt like I'm not doing enough because I worked from home a lot and felt like I needed to do more with her. Um, and this is something too, where I think it, it all just depends, right? You know, more than likely, if you're asking yourself that question, if you're asking yourself, am I doing enough? Chances are you're probably doing more than enough. If you were to compare yourself to the average owner uh, of the average dog owner in the U S right. Um, just being on a being on a page like this in a live stream and participating actively is a you know way more than the average dog owner would do. That's just you know essentially cohabitating with their dog, right? Um, but I think if you're asking yourself that and you're saying, well, you know, if you feel like oh, I'm leaving my dog out of certain activities, maybe you can ask yourself, well, why am I leaving my dog out of these activities? What is the reason why I I wouldn't include them in this activity or you know, not have them around while I do some activity that they, you know, literally can't do perhaps. But, you know, why is that? Is it because, you know, I'm worried about some behavior that they show that makes me nervous? Um, you know, is it the car that I just, you know, put my dog in the car, caused me a lot of stress? You know, what is that reason? And then perhaps that's a focal point for training for you, right? Is saying, hey, you know, uh, I don't bring my dog more places because every time we get in the car, my dog's super anxious and it's stressful. And then my ride's miserable, you know? So maybe that's an indication, Hey, we, we let's focus on, let's focus on uh, really changing the way that these car rides go. Right. Um, and that alone might impact your willingness and inclination to then include your dog in more stuff and also improve your relationship and just, you know, the beliefs you have about what's possible with your dog. Um, I, I know I've certainly experienced that. Right. So that's maybe one way to look at it, right? Is, is understanding and discerning with yourself. Hey, why do I feel this way that I'm not doing enough? And what are the things that I feel like I could be including my dog in that I'm not? And why, why is that, you know, and maybe pontificating about that and being able to, to come down to some specific reasons will help you find clarity in different ways that you can double down on, on your training. Right. Um, and then as a byproduct of that clarity gives you clear action and so on and so forth until you look back and you're like, whoa, I'm doing way more with my dog than I ever thought possible. And I'm only saying that because that's been my personal experience um, with Atlas and other dogs that have been in my life is, um, you know, by finding clarity, like we talked about in, in the beginning of the podcast, uh, you know, it's been life changing in terms of being able to take action and then, you know, actually move the needle and overcome any of these beliefs that uh, perhaps we had in, in, our, in our previous state of reality with one another. So. Very cool. Well, I'm going to probably wrap it up here. Thanks everyone for tuning in uh, to the live stream slash podcast. I'm really going to be going hard at podcasting here over uh, hopefully this, the continued future. I really enjoy it. Um, I'm someone that really benefits. I feel personally from just talking my thoughts out and from also answering questions as they come in. Um, it lets me kind of turn the cogs and hopefully helps people out there as well. Um, if you're interested in doing some training, you can visit our website www.hybridcanine.com. Uh, we offer virtual sessions for anyone that's not local to the Raleigh area. And then if you are in the Raleigh area, we'd of course love to do some private lessons with you. 
Uh, not really doing a whole lot of board and trains right now because I'm focused on the online side and building out the programs. And I really enjoy lessons. Um, I think I've, I've talked about this before, but I just enjoy lessons because more than anything, I really enjoy helping people become the trainer for their own dog. And I feel like that, um, that happens far more when I have clients that want lessons than board and trains. It's not to say that I wouldn't do them and that board and trains are bad by any means, but I just find a lot more enjoyment uh, with doing lessons. And I think that when it comes to doing something as a career or something that we're going to do every day, we should be enjoying it. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I think that the learning happens also better when it's um, spread across several different sessions versus, you know, one big turnover lesson. That's just my personal opinion. I know it's not feasible for everyone either, but um, you know, that being said, definitely uh, contact if you're interested in, in um, private lessons here in the Raleigh area or uh, through virtual sessions. And of course, we have merch that's been put up. You can find that with the link in the bio and on the website. And we also have some other cool things coming up here soon as well uh, for people local to participate and come work in person. So definitely stay tuned for that. If you listen to the podcast, you can follow us on all social platforms at Hybrid Canine, and we will be back soon. So thanks for everyone that was tuning in on Instagram Live as well. It was a good time. Let me know in either message or maybe comment on post and let me know how you like the topic-based podcast versus just the Q&A. Um, I feel like maybe a blend of both would be valuable overall, but um, it's been a lot of fun. Hopefully the audio is good. I put a lot of work into trying to take the production to a, to a different level and make it really pleasant and easy to listen to. So um, that's all I've got for today. I'll talk to you all soon. Peace.